1: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have two very interesting guests. We have Courtney Kleeman. She is the founder of The V Club, a new wellness center here in New York City, focuses on relationships, motherhood, and sexual wellness. And we have Alexandra Ross, who leads the motherhood efforts at The V Club. And today we're talking sex during pregnancy and postpartum and breaking some myths and empowering others and just hopefully creating a, a joyful experience. During pregnancy, postpartum without fear. So, before we start this interview, which I've already done in its fantastically fascinating and and I quite enjoyed it. I just want to remind you that if you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it, to please take a moment to go to iTunes or Stitcher and rate and review us. This way other people can hear and get educated from these podcasts and hopefully help us continue to create our community. Now, also putting it out there that these podcasts have been a labor of love and I truly do love them. I feel like I'm constantly learning from them. I'm meeting new people. Again, our community just keeps growing and growing through them but they take time. And to be honest, they take some money. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to keep supporting it, I know I feel like I'm on PBS right now, (laughs) but if you want to keep supporting us, please take a moment to go to our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and go to our podcast page and you can do a one-time donation and it would really be appreciated. So before, without any further ado, let's say hi to Courtney and to Alexandra.
0: Please remember, Mosmo's Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi ladies,
1: thank you so much for joining me. So, we are going to talk about a subject I think many people talk about behind closed doors and maybe small groups with friends or search on the internet, but sex during pregnancy and postpartum. I think you know there's a lot of anxiety, fear, question about it. So, Alexandria, I'm so excited to speak with you and Courtney, thank you so much for joining me because I think this is a huge topic. So, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start off a little bit. If you can just tell me both about yourselves and what brought you to this particular line of work.
2: Sure. Uh, This is Courtney. I'm the founder of the View Club here in New York City. Um, I am, I live in New York City. Um, I'm a sex and relationship expert. And what brought me to this line of work? Well, I think there's nothing, there are very few things that are more important to us as women, then relationships, love, and obviously sex, which is part of it. I've always been fascinated by how, by by the interaction between people, what brings us together, what creates passionate, lasting relationships. Um, and I've essentially devoted my life to studying this and helping people um, achieve happiness. And, you know, if you even just look around New York City, there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty in dating. Um the online dating world is actually, I think, made, Dating more difficult because it's easier to meet people, but it's more difficult to meet the right person. Uh, because on paper, you you know you just can't tell what the chemistry is. So I think that in the modern day, dating, love, relationships, and sex actually has gotten more complicated, which is uh, which is not how I think we generally think about it. But that's just what's happening, and I think it's an amazing topic to discuss, and it's still a topic that a lot of people are so ashamed of discussing, you know, our health, you know, so many women are ashamed of saying the word vagina, Uh, most women actually take their female anatomy for granted until they have children, and they realize that the female anatomy can change, that it ages with us, just like the rest of us uh, does. Um, so I'm really excited to be on the podcast and, to, and uh, chat about this topic. Thank
3: you so much, Alexandra. If
1: you don't want to tell us about yourself and what brought you to your work,
3: yes. Yeah, so my name's Alexandria. I am a mother myself, a mother of two, a wife. I am a registered nurse. I've been in the maternal child women's health realm for about ten years now, and. Formerly, I was in the Navy. I was a Navy nurse, but still did labor delivery, maternal child. And now I'm currently finishing up my master's at NYU for midwifery. That's great. And so, thank you. So what really brought me to this was it kind of called me, it chose me to be honest. While I was working, I noticed there was, there's a lot of disconnect and there's a lot of gaps in the care and in the education on women's health as a whole, but really in surrounding, you know, pregnancy that postpartum um, recovery phase because there's a lot going on and women have a lot of questions and there's not really many places to turn to. So once upon a time, you know, if you would have spoke to me a couple years ago, I would have said I would never be a midwife. No, that's not what I'm gonna do. But as I experienced it, and as I was beside more women and helping more women uh, through different things, through different coaching and just as a nurse in general, I noticed, like, I just felt like I had to, I had to do more, (laughs) so that's what pushed me to go back to school, and then that's what drives me now is just really being that, or at least attempting to be that gap or fill that gap, you know.
1: That's wonderful. I think um, there's not enough midwives around, so wonderful you're jumping into that. And you know, I kind of had that bug for a moment of like, "Ooh, should I be a midwife." It's a huge responsibility. So thank you for taking that all on for all the people around your community. Thank you. So let's jump into the topic: sex and pregnancy. So I hear a lot of fear about this topic with some students, not all, just a handful. I've had Mm -hmm. some confide in me about they're afraid their partners are afraid to have sex, fear they're going to hurt the baby. I've had some students say they're afraid to have sex because they're afraid of prematurely starting labor, which I, you know, a lot of these I tried to dispel, but there is a lot of, um, and some have scare of miscarriage. There's a lot of fear and a lot of misinformation. Can you speak Mm -hmm. to that a little bit?
3: Yes, absolutely. And you're right. That is actually probably the number one fear um, or concern is that the baby's going to get hurt. I'm going to hurt the baby on both on both the male and women part. And the reality is, is that no, <laughs> there's really, you're they're not going to hurt the baby. You cannot hurt the baby per se through vaginal intercourse or through sex. It's It's not. Um, as far as miscarriage there's studies that's uh, it's not supported as well so there's really no increased risk of miscarriage um, from having sex or there's really just no harm although that is a common concern so really if if you can't um, if they won't take your word if you know because a lot of women still won't take our word for it but there are a lot of studies they've done on this and it's just it's not been proven. <laughs> so they should not worry about either of those, either hurting the baby or miscarriage. Good. All right.
1: So people out there, listen, you can enjoy, and please do, because we know it <laughs> yeah. lightens the mood for everyone. So yeah. let's also go into some in a broad overview. Is there a common experience that most people will experience kind of the ebb and flow of sex and desire during pregnancy? There
3: is, yes. Um, so Really, as a whole, I mean, first and foremost, it does vary. It drastically varies. Each woman, each person is their own person, and they have individual, unique experiences when it comes to everything, to include sexual desire and intercourse and sex while pregnant. So there are some women who are almost insatiable, and that can be something different than their norm, if you will. But then, but more commonly, yes, there is where the first trimester, the beginning of pregnancy, a lot of women are tired, they're fatigued, some may be nauseous, um, some may be, you know, have nausea, vomiting, they're tired, they're bloated, they just may not feel overall well, and when you don't feel energized and well or you're nauseous throughout the day, sex is really not something that is on your mind, any woman, really, but especially at this time. Uh, ironically, a lot of times men have no, there's really no change, men specifically as far as the beginning of pregnancy or that first trimester. And what's interesting is during that second trimester, a lot of women feel better. And so they become more sexually active or more interested. And the men often, this is when that whole previous, I'm going to hurt the baby often settles in statistically, is during that second trimester when the belly is growing and now it's like, oh, this is real. I can see this happening now. And they start to kind of step back and then the woman often will be ready at that time. Yeah. so cross
1: signals happening.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like we need to get on the same page here, but it's tricky and it makes sense, right? I mean, physiologically, the woman in the beginning is just not feeling it. And then Midway through, the man visually is like, oh, hold on, wait a minute, something's actually going on. Um, but during the third trimester, a lot of men and women kind of, you know, or partners, couples kind of end up more on the same page, where sexual desire or fulfillment, you know, really takes a decrease often in that last trimester for a number of reasons. Um but often it's, it's the positional side of things, just, <laughs> the, the actual logistics it's just of the actually <laughs> like you got to plan this one out, and really you got to really think about it. And sometimes it's like, uh, no, we just we're just not you're just not in the mood, or you just like I said, have to figure out the logistics exactly and which positions are more comfortable for both. Yeah, parties,
1: you know. <laughs> Just speaking to a lot of women, and I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast, I'm pretty open on this. The one thing about the second trimester my friends and I all talked about was, you know, we're starting to feel better. And, you know, one of the things we've always concerned ourselves with before was um, birth control. And now you're pregnant and you don't have to worry about right. it. And then the partner's <laughs> like, ah! if I want to do this. And then that third trimester, you know, I tell a lot of my students because sex is one of those things that, as we know, can help um, labor percolate, percolate and start. And mm-hmm. I always try to remind them, like, it may not be the most intimate experience, but it's about getting a job done. Right. <laughs>
3: <So>. <laughs> yes. I've told many of women, go love your husband. Just go. <laughs> like, it's not about exactly. It's not, we're not necessarily lighting candles here. It's just,
2: getting a job done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Alexandria and I were just chatting about it the other day, and um, Alexandria was mentioning how sometimes one one of the things that freaks out men uh, when they try to have sex with their pregnant partner is when the baby moves. Mm. I can imagine yes. that.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> talk about taking your mind out of the situation. <laughs> you see the actual baby right there. I can imagine yeah. that. So can you? can one of you guys talk a little bit about using sex as a way to help start labor. Yeah.
3: Yeah, um so like we were just talking about, yes, sex can be great for a number of re- like reasons to start labor and even during labor. It can be really beneficial if if both parties are on board for that. Um so sperm little miracle thing that it is, is actually a prostaglandin. And a prostaglandin can help ripen or soften the woman's cervix. Now, in early pregnancy, with going back to the whole miscarriage or whatnot, um, the cervix isn't going to be open to that, if you will. So it's not really a worrisome thing then. But as as pregnancy progresses and the cervix is already going to start to soften so that it can dilate and open up, um, it is more open if you will to the prostaglandin so sperm acts as a prostaglandin to help soften and help speed that process up also if you know if a, if a woman's able to orgasm that's even more beneficial because having an orgasm releases oxytocin for one so it releases those natural hormones you get a big rush of those that can help contractions and it also it does stimulate the Uterus. So you can have a lot of uterine activity when a woman orgasms. So, really, whether that's through that part doesn't necessarily need to be through penetration, Um, but -hmm. the combination is definitely beneficial for, you know, speeding labor or bringing labor on. And then there are many women who enjoy during labor for a number of reasons again, for those same reasons, but also just those happy, loving hormones help in labor and can help that whole process.
1: Yeah, I've had clients when I was an active labor support doula, I've had clients do nipple stimulation to help get the oxytocin going. It really works. Mm -hmm. No, it does. So here we're talking about reasons to have sex during pregnancy and even in labor. Can you talk about, are there any reasons why someone may need to abstain from sex during pregnancy?
3: Yes, definitely. Um, So... If a woman is at, the main reason would be if she's at risk for preterm labor, that doesn't mean necessarily that she's had a preterm delivery before. That's kind of a gray area that really needs to be better assessed. But as far as if she's at risk for preterm labor, if her cervix is dilating too soon in the pregnancy or softening too soon or shortening, that would be, that would take sex off the table. Uh, If she has a cerclage, which is a way that if your cervix is dilating prematurely, they literally, they go in and sew it shut. So that would be a reason that sex would not be on the table as well. And then vaginal bleeding. If she's having vaginal bleeding and we don't know why, then really we've got to get to the reason why. But if it's a, if it's a common occurrence, then a lot of times we would say to refrain from sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. And so those are the main, the placenta previa or having a low lying placenta, which basically is just when it's either on or very close to the cervical opening or the cervix, that is a gray area too. If it's earlier than 28 weeks, it's generally okay. Some providers may still advise not to have sex, but really it's been proven that if that's the case after 28 weeks gestation, then there would be no more intercourse after 28 weeks if the placenta is still low. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, keep in mind this is really more so like vaginal penetration type. So there's other things that can be done during these times uh, for pleasure. But the, as far as actual penetration, these would be all the reasons that it would be a no go.
1: Okay. So, <laughs> so before we shift into the postpartum, is there anything about kind of that, the pregnancy stage, the, the sex, the, the connection that you want to touch on before we shift into the very vast uh, topic of postpartum sex? Yeah,
3: sure. I mean, like I said, I think there uh, couples experience it differently, but there is a lot of love going on, a lot of love feelings going on, a lot of intimate intimacy feelings, um, as far as relationship during pregnancy. So it can be a really great time to connect and be open with your partner. And so it it can enhance the intimacy really. And some women, of course, not all women, but some women feel really sexy when they're pregnant. And I know some people listening are like, there's no way (laughs) because some feel the complete opposite. But there are some who just take on that whole goddess role and own it. And so for them the experience is very is, is different,
0: you know. And liberating. But it
3: really it is liberating, yes. And it's like and you and you're and for once you're okay that your belly is getting bigger, like we're not worried about this. This is beautiful. Our breasts are getting bigger and everything's kinda it's great. But not not everyone feels that way. So <laughs>
4: Yeah, it varies. I mean, <laughs> I know?
1: I do feel that a lot of the women I do encounter, and if I can speak from my own experience, I like – like that's – you're right. Something about that second trimester and like, yeah, my belly's – like when, once I pass the mushy stage, you know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. like, what's going on there? There was something really exciting about – owning and being proud of my body where in the past, my body image might have not been the healthiest, but then I had that belly for a reason. And so that felt great. And then, you know, the third trimester comes along and you're like, what is this? So (laughs) yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that though, you know, that there can be a real ownership, um, of the body, especially if there might've been some body image issues in the past.
2: Mm And I, And I think it's also important to once again separate sex through intercourse and sexual activity through, you know, just touching. I mean, there's so many other things we can do. And this is one of the things we actually talk about in our classes, even for couples that are not pregnant it's not just about intercourse. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can still have an orgasm and have that same beautiful intimacy experience Mm -hmm. without doing something that may not be comfortable for you.
1: Absolutely.
2: All right. Let's
1: talk about postpartum sex because I feel like I hear a lot about that from the students. I have many a student (laughs) pull me over and talk about this (laughs) and to be honest, this is, you know, it's not my expertise. So let's jump in. So what should a woman expect during this time, during the postpartum time?
3: Yes. So (laughs) again, it does vary. Um, The hard hard things though, as far as the more black and white postpartum, really that initial healing stage, you got to let your body heal. So the first six weeks, there really should be nothing in the vagina. The first six weeks, a lot of women don't want anything in the vagina, but some do. And so Initial postpartum, it's really about that healing. If you had especially if you had a vaginal delivery, you may be sore, you may be tender. So the first the the first six weeks of postpartum really is for healing. I mean the first year really, but the first six weeks definitely for healing. And so a lot of women are not going to necessarily want to have sexual intercourse for a number of reasons. But for vaginal and for cesarean delivery, The cervix still is closing and healing. The uterus is still making its way back down below the hairline. They're still tender. Regardless of mode of delivery, you're still healing. And so initially, those six weeks, nothing in the vagina. Do women still have sex before six weeks? Yes, they do. If they feel comfortable, then, you know, that's up to them. But it is advised really not before six weeks to allow time for healing. So as far as that initial... That's the biggest part. Again, knowing that everyone has a different experience and a different delivery and a different, you know, amount of healing needed, if you will, that physically it varies, but that's really the earliest anyone should initiate any sexual activity is about six weeks time. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but transitioning into just if you even want to and what's going on hormonally and the fact that you have a newborn and both. Both parties are tired and sleep-deprived, and, you know, women at this time, you may have the night sweats, which, which are really not very sexy to most <laughs> women, uh, <laughs> so you wake up drenched in sweat or breast milk or both, and it's so, there can be times where you're just not really feeling very intimate or very um, sexual. If yeah, you will.
1: And I just remember feeling just, I kind of still have this, my kids are always all over me, kind of that overtouched my body's no longer mine. So yes. it could feel hard to feel sexy and want to connect with a partner when you're like, whose body is this? Because the change is so quick, you know, from mm-hmm. having kind of that full belly and maybe radiant feeling of pregnancy to just kind of mushy and tired and heavy breasts and achiness and sleep deprived, just just unsexy and overtouched.
3: Definitely. I agree. I a hundred percent agree um, personally and with the women I've worked with. Yeah. It's like, I just want my body for myself for a second. And I think sometimes, you know, mentally though, women, we have this tendency to, then we feel bad because you don't want to like, just want your body to yourself for (laughs) a second. But it's okay to feel that way. Because there's like you said, there's a lot of changes that have gone on your body. It it is you have that moment of whose is this? Where? Why is that there? Why does this look like this? Or you know, you're adjusting. Mm -hmm. And then if you, you got the baby that or babies, depending, you know, that you're feeding and whether you're bottle feeding or breastfeeding, it's a lot of demand. Mm -hmm. And so You know, even though the partner, especially if, you know, we're out of that third trimester now, so the partner might be ready, um, but it's like the woman just might not because you just, it's just overstimulation, you know? Yeah. That's okay.
1: when you say overstimulation so I have to tell you this story my friend actually listens to this podcast so she's gonna laugh so I won't say her name but she was finally got past the hurdle of like okay I'm gonna have sex and so she started with her partner and all of a sudden she said breast milk sprayed out all over him and she's like Mm -hmm. and we're done (laughs) she said she just couldn't get past that hurdle. And Mm -hmm. it took her a fair amount of time, I think to her frustration, well, more to her husband's frustration. So I don't think that probably is a story to itself. I think, you know, other women could be late. How do you just, do you have any recommendations or how do you just feel sexy in your body again when you're just like, you know, literally spraying breast milk on your partner? I right. told her, I'm like, well, maybe next time wear a bra. <laughs> but
3: yeah. No, but absolutely. I mean, I don't know. There's some partners out there that they'd be all for it, right? <laughs> but um, but if you're not, I can understand that. I would say, what, I mean, it may seem like, oh, I don't want to, but wear a bra. And now, now, gosh, they have beautiful breastfeeding bras. Once upon a time, your colors, you had like beige and gray, and they weren't cute and you did not feel necessarily sexy in them. Now they have beautiful, like, like breastfeeding appropriate bras and um, nightgowns and whatnot. So I would say as far as that specific, like, (laughs) yes, I would say it is totally okay to wear a bra because again, with, with that hormone, again, oxytocin and with the hormonal rushes that happen when you are being intimate and that loving hormone, a lot of times you will have a letdown and the breast milk may squirt out. (laughs) And so you have a high chance of that happening. So it is better to, if that's not your thing to probably wear a bra um, or something. But as far as owning your body, you know, and I, and I try to remind new moms, any mom, moms in general, women, Um, of this all the time. It's like, try to remember what your body just did. I think we take it for granted the whole pregnancy, childbirth thing, if you will, because it's a common occurrence. People have babies, women have babies. And so it's easy to not really think about how amazing it is that you just made a human being and your body's pretty freaking awesome. So if you can, if, if we can try to have a shift of, oh my gosh, why is my body look like this? And why is this sagging? And why is this that instead? Like, oh my gosh, my body's really amazing. And that mental switch can really help the whole sexiness feeling because it's really not so much about what you look, look like Mm -hmm. per se. And really sexiness isn't about that anyway, because we've all probably been there and a lot of women do this. You could you know, the girl next to you could think you are amazing and you will still find something, a flaw, right? It's like, we just do that. And so the mental game is huge in recovery. And as far as how you feel, you know, Mm -hmm. so I would say that's the biggest thing.
1: What are some of the biggest concerns you're hearing from your clients during this postpartum time when it comes to relationships and connecting to their partners? It's a, two,
3: it's a two part. Um, it, it's a two part thing. On one hand, we, I do come across a lot of women who are very eager to be intimate again and have sex again. And sometimes it's a matter of kind of slowing them down so just for, for healing reasons and for yes, you can come back on your postpartum visit pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which <laughs> we can they get to don't that. believe me, but it happens. Um, and then the other side is like, we kind of just touched on is, is there enough of me? Like, is there enough of me for my new baby? Maybe I have other children and my husband. It's like they're spread thin. And so I, I try to press, uh, the communication line as uh, you have to be open And explain and discuss with your partner, whatever's going on, because if not, they may take things differently. Like if, if you're not being intimate or if you're not feeling it, they may, it may be obvious to the woman who just had a baby, like why she's not feeling it or why she has certain concerns, or maybe she's self-conscious about something. If she doesn't tell the partner that she does, she's just going to assume that they may feel the same way she does. Or assume that they understand why she feels this way and they may not, Mm -hmm. you know? So really it's, I, I encourage communicating because that's the first step of getting past whatever is going on in that time. Because again, sex is a part of being intimate but like Courtney said it's not it doesn't define intimacy it doesn't equal intimacy
1: yeah maybe it just starts slow like we're gonna cuddle again and we're gonna just we're gonna sit on the couch just the two of us and hold hands because I know in the beginning it can feel like they're miles apart because the focal point is now the baby and just to kind of come back and be like oh look we're we I like you (laughs) let's spend some time together
3: Right. And for the partner, um, especially if they are listening, I mean, that's huge. Like those little things are huge. Those little holding hands, the cuddling, the even if it's like, oh, I ran your bath or I whatever, you know, I did I did the dishes correctly today (laughs) or whatever it is. It's that is going to release more of those hormones in the new mother. Mm -hmm. And she might be feeling more. Risky later, so it, it goes both. You know, it doesn't need to be fast, like you said. And intimacy and sex, they're not necessarily one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know.
2: Can I no, quickly? So. Oh, I'm sorry, Courtney. Were you going to say something? Um, I was also going to say that probably the worst thing that you can do when it comes to intimacy and sex is to put pressure on yourself. Um, it's just, it's absolutely a killer of any kind of passion or intimacy or any kind of a feeling of closeness. So mm-hmm. I, I think the most important thing is just not to do that and just give it time and, you know, you will, you just take small steps and you'll know when it's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I
1: think that's a great great thing to think about. And I just want to throw in something you mentioned so quickly but about coming back pregnant at your at your postpartum visit. Can one of you just quickly mention about birth control sex and breastfeeding?
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a that's a loaded that's a loaded thing, but yeah. <laughs> um, so women have come back at their postpartum visit pregnant and when I tell them that before, they don't believe me but it it does happen. So breastfeeding can act as a form of birth control, but here is what we don't, sometimes what's missed is that it's exclusive breastfeeding. It's, you're not, not even pumping. Pumping even can kind of lower that statistic, like that rate as far as protection goes for pregnancy. Right after you deliver, women are quite fertile. It doesn't really to me, it doesn't really make sense why we would be really fertile after having a baby. But you can be quite fertile after delivery. Um, however, breastfeeding is a protection. So if they are exclusively breastfeeding, not pumping, not supplementing, you're, you're pretty protected. And you may not get a period for quite a long time. You may, some women do, but you may not because you're not really ovulating because the focus as far as your body and nature will have it is to feed the new baby, Right. Sex or birth control. You can be on birth control postpartum. Um, in fact, if you any of you have recently delivered, they they quite they ask you about your form of birth control very early. Sometimes before you've even delivered, the one that's in you. Um, but if you're breastfeeding, one thing to make a note of is it would be like a progesterone only type, a progesterone only pill or form of contraception. If it's a pill or actual. Contraceptive, not a condom, um, because you don't want to interfere with the lactation and the milk supply. Okay, good. And Thank it, you for
1: getting that out there because yeah. I've had many students link back into class with, like, oops, it's a little earlier than we planned, but guests are going to be yeah. really close.
3: <laughs> oh, it's like they think because they have one crying that there's no way that you could get pregnant again. And it's like, no, you absolutely can If you're not taking the right precautionary measures. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And come back pregnant.
1: Okay. I want to jump over to one of my favorite topics, pelvic floor. Um, At PYC, we are massive advocates of of pelvic floor health. I think we have, I don't know, four or five different podcasts on that. We just had a whole pelvic floor workshop two weeks ago, but I don't think in actually any of the podcasts, we mentioned the relationship between a healthy pelvic floor and orgasm. So who wants to jump into that?
2: I'll jump in. This is Courtney. Um, it is a direct relationship, uh, between the pelvic floor and orgasm. And most people don't realize it, and you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the forecast, most women take their pelvic floor for granted altogether and their org- ability to orgasm. They're very related. So the stronger your pelvic floor muscles, the stronger your orgasms will feel, and the more able, more easily, you will be able to reach orgasm. And the reason being is that orgasm is actually contractions of the pelvic floor. So if your muscles are weakened, Obviously, your orgasm will be uh, weaker. Uh, It just won't feel as strong. And the other thing is the pelvic floor actually holds. um, I'm just going to simplify this. It basically holds the vagina together. Vagina is quite shapeless, if you think about it. Um, And the pelvic floor is what makes kind of a tighter uh, tube, intramuscular tube. And so if your pelvic floor gets weaker, um, your vagina is simply wider. And it's much more, you know, it just takes a lot more. Uh, to stimulate the walls, which is how we feel pleasure during sex. So very, very related. Um, and one of the things that a lot of women feel is that, you know, Kegels is the way to go. And unfortunately it's been shown that more than 50% of women actually do Kegels incorrectly. Um, and the reason you would know that is like, for example, if you think about doing a Kegel right now, uh, you probably have your, like, whole body tightening up a little bit like your abdomen maybe your neck feels a little stiffer like you're you're just tensing up everywhere and what that means is that you don't have that strong control of your pelvic floor which most women don't at actually at any age and so your whole body comes in and tries to compensate. Um, and so, Kegels are not amazing, um, and also, especially after giving birth, um, it, it usually, the pelvic floor requires a more, a stronger type of a, more focused type of an uh, exercise to really isolate these muscles. And for that, the best exercises really are tense machines. These are machines, if you ever go to a chiropractor and they stick those like electrodes on you and it sort of flexes your muscles and makes you tingle a little bit. Those are the kinds of machines. Um, One of them is YARLAP, uh, spelled uh, Y-A-R-L-A-P. It's an FDA approved machine. You basically put this thin uh, thing uh, in the vagina. It's almost like the size of a tampon and it squeezes and releases for you, and it's about 15, 20 minutes a day. It's been shown to help tighten the pelvic floor, strengthen it, it works both pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy, if you've reached menopause. So those are much better practices for keeping that female anatomy strong.
4: Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. We,
1: we actually, we do a fair amount of pelvic floor toning, but I think it's also how it's taught, you know, if oh, you're yeah. just teaching them, okay, squeeze, squeeze what, what am I squeezing? What am I engaging? What am I relaxing? And we, we have a whole pelvic floor model. So, you know, in our <laughs> classes, clearly we can't provide everyone with any sort of machinery, but we can properly teach them how to feel. Feel and find their body, and then instruction of like you know, use your own fingers. And are you actually engaged? Like at home, not,
2: not in the middle mm-hmm. class. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly that is wonderful, and really, it it's not that you can't do Kegels on your own. You just have to know very specifically exactly what to do, what you're exactly. doing. Yeah, because yeah.
1: otherwise, it's you're just, right. They squeeze. I, I can tell when when someone doesn't do when we're teaching it in class, and someone's trying to do it with their eyebrows or their face looks all contorted. You yeah. Oh, when it's not quite landing, but, you exactly. know, we do it every class and eventually most people catch on.
3: Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> super important. And other, there's other countries, pelvic floor therapy is actually built into the postpartum recovery. Like it's automatic mm-hmm. that women receive that. And I was like, well, that's genius because. Yeah, no,
1: I could get into a whole podcast just yeah. on that. <laughs>
3: yeah. So it is, it's. It's that there's that's so sure. many layers
1: of maternal health that we don't do in our country. Oh my <laughs>
2: goodness. A, that, that, that is another, that's another That's a whole yes. other one. <laughs> that's my podcast right there. Exactly. Um, and it's also, you know, as you know, like it's also important to have a strong pelvic floor actually before you go into pregnancy, yes. right? It's there's never, you know, we tell women if you're 20, you should already start exercising it. It just, it ages just like the rest of us. we balanced because we don't want it to.
1: Tight and too Mm -hmm. engaged. We want it to, I think of it as springy. It needs to be Mm -hmm. like a shock absorber. (laughs) It
0: can't just be so
1: solid or so relaxed. So I want to shift gears. Um, One of the things we also talk a lot about PYC is the emotional part of birth. And what we see a lot of, unfortunately, through our society and the paradigm of birth right now, is a lot of trauma after Mm -hmm. birth. And when someone has a traumatic birth, they can feel very disconnected to their body and their partner. And and here we're talking about intimacy and connection and sex. How, how do you help someone get comfortable back in their own skin, able to open up and connect to their partner if they have had a traumatic birth experience?
3: Yeah. So this you're absolutely, it's, it is increasing. Um, really sadly, I even hate having to say that out loud, but More and more women are feeling that they've had or that, you know, they've suffered a traumatic experience. And I do want to make a point to say that a traumatic birth doesn't necessarily mean what we would think of as a traumatic birth. It doesn't mean necessarily that there was this horrible rush, like rush to the OR or a really bad tear or, you know, it doesn't mean that, or that, right. you know, the woman was in it. It's how a woman perceived her experience. Mm-hmm. And that can have a huge um, impact on how she then perceives her body and her ability to really take for the ownership of herself, you know? So I just have to say that because sometimes what happens is women will have, they will have these feelings. And if they go to the provider and let's say everything on paper looks fine, they might get missed and not get the help that they need as far as reconnecting. So I just had to say that part. Yes. But as far as how, really, this is a whole other, it's a misconception that the provider is going to really know much about this area, sadly. And that's all, like, whether it's a doctor, midwife, Unless they've really do- dove into this, they're not going to be able to really personally provide the help. It's really about seeking and getting the referral and finding those who specialize in this because they they exist and there are um, providers here in the city that specialize in post birth, you know, traumatic birth issues or PTSD from childbirth mm-hmm. and it's really it's a it's going repetitively and really allowing time and being patient with yourself to you know to heal both physically and emotionally from the, your experience so i would say to really just ensure you get the help that you need or for the provider ensuring that they're setting up the woman with the proper help. And also just another on a side note, it's not always the woman. We forget about the partners. <laughs> we forget about the partners who maybe they experienced, whatever they experienced is traumatic for them. And whatever they visualize was traumatic for them, because a lot of times partners feel helpless and they, in the delivery, you know, they don't depending again, but sometimes they feel like they're not in control or they might perceive things have gone a certain way. And so they might be having some type of Post-traumatic stress, if you will, as well. And that might not even be brought up ever.
1: I've actually seen that with some as a doula. Um I remember a few of them, just a handful, witnessing, watching the the partner have a reaction and an experience where during the birth, um, one in particular was the mother just had, she, she was unfortunately given a PCI I mean, and the resident thought she had an epidural and did not. And so it was, oh, it was not Lord. good. It was not good. And, that's not and there good, was, no. it, it was not good. And there was a lot of emotional and physical healing on both parts. Um, and I've seen the partner have, have reactions to watching this experience. And, and mm-hmm. I know it can really get in between the couple as they're both mm-hmm. processing and healing from their own experience. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. Yeah, it's important. We have to really make sure that couples, you know, these things are happening to the woman, maybe physically, but it's a, it's a part, you know, you typically, it's a partner thing. So the healing, everything, it's really, it's just important to include both, Because otherwise, especially when we're talking about sex and intimacy, otherwise we're missing an important link here. Mm -hmm. So
1: So as we start to wrap things up, is there a last piece of advice either of you want to give to new or expected parents on this topic or
3: any topic since it's always
1: (laughs) advice needed?
3: Um, I mean, for me, I really, first and foremost, I just want to stress that you're not alone. Women, new parents, expectant parents, You may think that you're the only one that feels how you feel, but you're not. A lot of people have the same feelings, worries, concerns that you do. Um, But if, again, you don't communicate that, if you're not open about that, you will remain, you know, you'll feel alone. So it's okay to express what's going on and express how you feel. And you'll find then that a lot of us, a lot of Parents, a lot of expectant parents, new parents feel the same way. And then one thing I always tell my new parents is that, as far as parenting goes, this may not be like pregnancy delivery, but as far as parenting goes, we're all winging it. Like none of us <laughs> actually know if we're really doing the right thing. We all hope we are, um, and we're hoping we're not messing things up too bad. But at the end of the day, we're all doing the best that we can, and that's what that's what's important. And so. It's like, just be patient and be kind to yourself. Yes, we are all right.
1: There's a song, I don't know if you know musical theater, there's a song from Dear Evan Hansen called Does Anyone Have a Map? Like, (laughs) instead of a map, know what the hell we're doing. Like, I just think we're all out there just like, what are we doing? We're just trying to get through the day and do a good job. Yes. Well, yes. let's talk about and, where people, oh, I'm sorry, was there something else?
2: Um, yeah, I was going to add yes, to that please, point. Courtney. And one of the, the one of the really great ways to do that and not to put pressure on yourself and not to feel alone is to actually find a community of people who are going through the same experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Because,
2: you know, as with everything else in life, we can tell ourselves all day long that we're just human beings and everyone else is having the same experience. But it doesn't often stick, but it's what we would talk to other people and they share the same thing then it's like oh yeah I am just a human being and then everything becomes better absolutely
1: mm-hmm. yes I'm all about community at PYC we are all about community which brings me to let's talk
2: about where people can find both of you and your work so we are the v club uh we are located here in New York City we're in Chelsea on 25th Street near 7th Avenue um and we are a center um, offering women uh, masterclasses on relationships, motherhood, and sexual wellness. And speaking of community, we also provide women with a place where they can build this community. And it's a safe place to talk about all these topics pregnancy, motherhood, uh, relationships, all that kind of good stuff, and meet other women and not feel alone and also just, you know, pursue happiness. Uh, And uh, and just have girl talk, because I think for a lot of us, that's really what, you know, makes us get through the day and just makes us happy.
1: Yes. I completely agree. Well, I will make sure that we have the V club website up on the show notes and we will link to all of that. And I, I love the work you're doing. I'm glad we had a chance to connect and, and really dive into this topic. I felt like we could have gone on and on and on, but I had to rein it in. Um, so thank you both so much for your time and for all this great juicy information. Thank Thank you you so much. It
3: was great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely right. Take care. Bye. Bye.
1: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.